you know what I mean. Um, hello, I'm Michaela. I have the privilege of bringing the Bible reading this week, and we are looking at Genesis 34, verses 1 to 15. So if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible, feel free to open that up, and then we'll read together, or you can look to the screen. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found in the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Michaela. Well, good evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Charlie. I'm one of the pastors here at SDBC, and uh, it's a privilege to bring the word to you this evening. Um, we are continuing our series in Genesis, obviously on Joseph. And uh, I hope that you have been gleaning some stuff from these messages that we've been doing. As we approach this passage this evening, um, it's a passage that I, I have a little bit of an issue with, a passage that I struggle with a little bit. Um, there are things that Joseph does and says that I don't necessarily agree with. He seems to be a little bit dishonest and deceptive in places. And I don't know if God was totally happy with what Joseph did, the outworking of God's plan and purposes. But we're not told. What we do know is there is an overarching, a bigger picture in all of this. And there's a purpose in all that Joseph does in driving his brothers to a certain point. And so we come tonight to the final test, if you like, that Joseph has for his brothers. It's a test that sets my teeth on edge. It seems to be a little bit cruel. It seems to be very severe. But then when I pause and I look back at some of the things that have happened in my life, I realize there were things that could be interpreted as cruel, things that could be interpreted as being very severe. And I believe God allowed those things to happen in order for me to be aware of something that I had to deal with. So that I could recognize my own sinfulness and I think in all of that God's plan and purpose was for me and for those who suffer in similar ways to realize we are nothing without God we need him each and every moment 
of each and every day. And so God brings these severe uh, events upon us or he allows them to happen. And we could ask why he permits this. Why does he allow this to happen? Why do we have passages of scripture like Genesis 44 that is before us here? And I believe these things are vital because genuine repentance is an indispensable part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't like discussing that for some unknown reason. I don't understand it. In the, Luke of God, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he ascends. And some of the last words that he says to his disciples at that time are these words. Thus is it written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So many want and demand that we preach only on forgiveness, only on grace, only on love. And some have even said we should never speak on repentance. And yet this is God's command, not Charlie's, God's command, to proclaim and declare that repentance is first, genuine repentance. And when that happens, there's forgiveness. And those who've experienced the release the joy, the freedom in knowing that they have been forgiven after they have repented would never speak against someone proclaiming the need for repentance because they know repentance comes first and repentance is essential. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that it speaks to us. And I thank you, Lord, you have a reason and purpose for everything that is contained in Scripture. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that the word that we've had read to us, the word we'll expound, you just bless it. You'll anoint it, that it'll speak into people's hearts and minds tonight, that we'll be transformed as a result, and that we will draw closer to you. And I pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The account that we had Michaela read part of to us this evening begins with Joseph speaking to his steward. But I want you to think about what the, what the brothers are doing at that time. So the brothers have actually started the journey back to Canaan, but think about how they're feeling. They've just come off the back of this incredible afternoon and evening with the governor of Egypt. This governor of Egypt lavished all kinds of food upon them, the best wine the land had, and they were spoiled rotten they got to sleep in his house overnight and then they were sent on their way with all the provisions that they could possibly require and personally I imagine that they had so much to eat that previous night they skipped breakfast you've been there hey yeah, and, and I just think they were so abundantly blessed. As they walked along that road, perhaps they were joking around with each other. Perhaps they were celebrating a little bit because their visit to Egypt had gone far better than they expected that it would. And perhaps even in that time, they'd forgotten a little bit about Joseph, that terrible thing they'd done and how that kept coming up before them. And so, and so that was forgotten for just a little bit there as well. But the thing is, 
the governor, Joseph, and God had not forgotten. And I believe God and Joseph were continuing their relentless pursuit of those men. And I believe God continues to relentlessly pursue us as well. And so Joseph has this final test, which again, I believe, was at the direction of God. Joseph had to know if his brothers were truly repentant over what they had done to him all those years before. When he sent his brothers on their way, he gives these instructions to his stewards. He says to fill their sacks with food as much as can be carried. Put each man's money in the mouth of the sack again. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And the steward did as Joseph instructed him. Note how Joseph speaks about his cup. He calls it his cup, the silver cup. He says nothing about divination. There's a number of people that believe that Joseph did divine. I don't believe that for one moment. I believe the knowledge that Joseph got was actually directly from God. Divination was something that was practiced in Egypt and it was believed that the higher ranks of people in Egypt did actually divine. But I don't think Joseph did that. If he did, would he not have said, put my cup of divination in his bag? But if that's the case, if I'm right, why did he say this? These are his instructions to his steward when his steward catches up with his brothers. Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Joseph is very specific in telling his steward to say this to his brothers. And I believe... It's because he wants to continue his disguise. He wants his brothers to continue to believe him to be the governor. And if you remember, the brothers were amazed that he knew their ages and how to sit them in order and things like that. And there was other information that he obviously knew and, and they were just amazed by that. But the whole story was sold that he could divine such things. And so Joseph wants to continue this idea that he has the power of divination. He is pretending still to be just the governor, not their brother, but he's also be pretending to be the one who can divine, so that they would know he had the power to know the truth. His desire was that they wouldn't lie to him, that he would know the truth of where they were. And so he's continuing this farce, if you like. He's continuing to make them believe that. And I believe that's why he speaks about this cup of divination, which he didn't actually use for that. So he's acting out the governor and a diviner as well. And so Joseph Stewart overtakes the brothers and he makes his accusations to them. And of course, they declare their innocence. In verse 7, they say, Far be it from your servants to do such a, such a thing. And then they say, Whichever of your servants is found with it, they shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. They're so convinced of their innocence. They're so convinced that no one had actually done it that they declare if the cup's found in anyone's sack, that one is going to die. I think there's a couple of things we can take from that straight away. Firstly, be careful what you say. Hey, wasn't real smart. Wasn't real smart. But there's something else going on here. The steward seems to know 
Joseph's plan and purpose. He seems to understand exactly what's going on here. And he plays right into what Joseph desires. And so these guys say, whoever's got it, he'll die, and the rest of us will become slaves. But the steward graciously turns that around straight away. He changes the punishment. And this is what he says. Let it be as you say, who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. The rest of you shall go. There's no need for you to pay for this crime. And so the steward gets them to open their sacks, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, Benjamin. When they open Reuben's sack, what do they see? The money. It's not mentioned, is it? But could you imagine how they felt? Reuben's sack's open, money. Next one, money. Next one, money. My heart would be sinking a little bit. I'd be a little bit worried. One after one, one after the other, they open those sacks. And I wonder what they were thinking. And then we know that they came to Benjamin. And the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. Remember, the steward has said, only the one with the cup will return to Egypt and be a slave. And the rest of you, you go free. Think about these brothers on the side of the road, wherever they are. Jacob had delayed them going back to Egypt to get the grain. Their families were on the brink of starvation. The grain that they had has basically been used up. They're cutting it really fine here. If there was ever a time these guys would have been justified in saying, hey, Benjamin, mate, we've got to let you go back to Egypt. We've got to go to our families, get this grain to them. We'll come back for you. If there's ever a time for them to justify leaving Benjamin behind, now's that time. And yet, this is what they do. They tear their clothes, a sign of grief and mourning. They load their donkeys and they head back to the city. This is the first phase of Joseph's last test. They had initially all insisted that the one found with the cup should die. And the others remain a slave. The steward has given them that out where only the one with the cup will become enslaved and the rest can go free. And yet all of the brothers tore their clothes. All of them, without hesitation. None of them were thinking of themselves. All of them were thinking about Benjamin. And perhaps they were also thinking about Jacob. And they would not desert Benjamin. They returned to Egypt as one. Something has been happening in their lives. Something is creating a transformation and as we read it, we can say and know they're innocent, but it's amazing what guilt actually does to people. Way back in the dim dark ages, uh, I was a department manager with Big W, and uh, part of my role was involved in apprehending the shoplifters. I didn't actually look for the shoplifters, but I was one of the ones that had to go and help apprehend them. And it came up that someone had been stealing part of the staff lunches. And so we decided to set a trap for this person. They seemed to particularly like stone fruit. So um, we bought some stone fruit, we set the trap, and sure enough, we caught the person that was taking this stone fruit. And so we brought them into the office and we started talking to her and we said, look, um, the peach that you're eating is one that we planted. So why are you stealing people's lunches? And she confessed to the whole thing. 
And she said, I suppose you'll want the TVs, the DVD players, the CD players, all the CDs and DVDs that I've taken too. And we were like, yes, uh, we were going to get to that, but now you've brought it up, we'd like to know where they are. And she said, yes, they're all at home. I haven't done anything with them. And we said, well, thank you. And we went out of the office and we said, can you believe that? What's this woman doing? What does she take? We had no idea about that stuff. Hung herself because of a peach. Seriously. It's amazing what guilt does. We had no idea about that stuff. And she'd stolen thousands of dollars of product. Thousands. The brothers each knew they were innocent of the charge that was brought against them. But something had happened. And so we see Judas stepping up and saying, What shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? There's no way we can help ourselves. God has found out the guilt of your servants. And behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and also the one in whose hand the cup has been found. These guys were faced with the same temptation that they had yielded to with Joseph. Jacob's beloved son Benjamin had been entrusted into their care. And they were free to return to their father and break his heart, telling him that Benjamin had done this terrible thing and that he was now enslaved and imprisoned in Egypt, just as they had with Joseph. But the penny suddenly drops. They were not guilty of what they'd been accused of this time. But they were guilty of something else. It's like Joseph's brother Brothers are living out what we're told in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. They seem to understand that their guilt before God is causing these issues and their problems. And even though they were innocent of that crime, they saw themselves as guilty overall. They're finally confronted with their guilt. So many are not willing to face or question their guilt. We are told again and again by friends, by counsellors, by other well-minded people that we have to overcome our guilt. We have to deal with the guilt in a way that allows us to suppress it and put it down. You are not a bad person. We are not bad people. And it would seem that the goal is for us to feel good about ourselves, not feel that guilt. And it's about dealing with your guilty feelings, not dealing with what has caused the guilt. And there's even people in the church who say, we shouldn't make people feel guilty. Who are we to judge? God is a God of love, and that's what should be emphasized. He doesn't want us to feel guilty if he's a God of love, surely. And guys, I've got to say, if you believe that, you're seriously deluded. Seriously. Guilt is not the enemy. What if guilt is a God-given emotion? A God-given feeling. What, what if guilt is something that God gives us in order to prompt us to examine why we feel guilty so we can have a closer relationship with him? What if it's God-given? It would make us sit back and say, why do I feel guilty? And then when we identify what it is we feel guilty about, We'll want to deal with it. We'll want to address it. Because that's what God 
would want us to do. And a willingness to deal with guilt leads us to true repentance. When the brothers first visited Egypt, they met the governor of Egypt, Joseph. And he was a severe man. He was harsh with them. He treated them quite sternly. And they were struck by his power and his authority. And they knew he was a man to be feared. On the second visit, they experienced his incredible grace, this generosity, this selfless provision which they hadn't expected because of their first experience. And so the overall picture they get of Joseph reveals him to be a man of integrity, a man who could be appealed to. And so they return to Joseph And when Judah and his brothers come in, Joseph is still in his house and so they throw themselves before him on the ground. When they were first accused by the steward, they demanded justice. They were innocent and they demanded that that be proven. But now as they come before Joseph, they fall before him out of respect. They fall before him because they know their lives are in his hands and they plead for mercy. And Judah's the one who speaks up. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup was found. The situation with the cup has become a catalyst for the brothers to see the root of all their problems. Everything that is going wrong in their lives is because of their guilt before God. It appears Joseph's desire and hope for his brothers has now become their desire and hope as well. They want to deal with what they've done, what they've confessed. And they're not going to run from their responsibility in that anymore. They're going to face the terrible actions that they've done and they're going to allow whatever consequences come, whatever punishment comes, to be a part of their life. But how can Joseph know that they're genuine? How can Joseph be sure? How can he find out if they're truly sorry for what they've done to him? How can he know that they're no longer the treacherous men that we know they are? We ran through all those terrible things these guys had done, even apart from selling Joseph. And faced with their pending judgment before the governor of the land, Joseph gives them that one last opportunity to desert Benjamin. And so Joseph says this, he says, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man whose hand the cup was found shall be servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Again, the go up in peace is shalom to your father. And again, they would have been quite struck that an Egyptian would say that, especially in this context. And so Joseph is again maintaining his role as governor. How could he possibly know about the past sins of these brothers? So as far as his role as governor is concerned, the only sin he's aware of is that Benjamin has stolen the cup. And he's not going to punish the other brothers for that. They're not responsible for what Benjamin supposedly did. So all of them would be sent home, except Benjamin. And knowing his guilt and the guilt of his brothers, Judah steps up once more and he appeals for mercy. 
It's interesting, this, is, this has almost come full circle now. When we look back in Genesis 37, where we started, it was Judah who made the suggestion to sell Joseph into slavery. And so Judah's the one that stepped up. And if you like, he's the one that commenced this whole account that we have before us. He set this whole sequence in motion. And yet here he is refusing to sell or betray Benjamin as he did Joseph. Remember too that it was Judah who offered himself as a surety to Jacob for the safe return of Benjamin. It is Judah too who seems to have sent something in Joseph, something which inspired him to appeal for his mercy. And so he seeks permission to speak with Joseph, to have a word in his ear. And he said, My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children. And his father loves him. No jealousy there. It's a statement of fact. They've come so far. Judah provides this abridged account of all that has happened in their relationship with Joseph, the governor of Israel. It was Joseph who asked about their father and younger brother, and they told him the truth about that. They had disclosed that Benjamin was, had once a brother, but that brother is no more, and that their father is closer to Benjamin than they are to all of them because he's the only remaining son of the wife that he loved. And Jacob... Their father struggled to release Benjamin to go to Egypt, but they brought him down because of the insistence of the governor of Egypt, of Joseph. And finally, he provides Joseph with what his father had sent concerning him and Benjamin. He says, your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. I've never seen him. And if Joseph takes Benjamin, the only remaining son of Rachel, it'll break his father's heart. So much so that it could cause his death. And so Judah lays it all out for Joseph. He's seeking for Joseph to understand the predicament that they're in. And he appeals for mercy. He appeals for grace. Not for himself, but for Benjamin and for his father. If Joseph is willing, it allows so much suffering of Benjamin and Jacob to be averted. And it'll only be Judah who suffers. Judah is willing to remain as a slave rather than to be free in Canaan and see the pain that this situation causes his father. How much has Judah changed? He's willing to accept slavery rather than blame another one for this situation that they're in. He's willing to accept his own misery rather than causing the misery of another if he can take that from them, if there's another way. And so Judah has undertaken this radical transformation. And if you like, this transformation is more radical than the transformation of Joseph. It's an amazing thing. And we'll find as we begin the chapter next week that Joseph is now ready to reveal his identity because he's seen true repentance in his brothers. 
And up until this chapter, there's been no real evidence of genuine repentance. I think the brothers came to recognize that all the suffering that they were going through, all these difficulties that they were facing, was because of what they had done to Joseph. And there were perhaps many times through those accounts where they may have even thought or wished that they'd never sold him into slavery. Perhaps they were even sorry because of the pain that they saw Jacob go through. And they may have been sorry for that. Overall, they possibly regretted everything that has happened as a consequence of their sin. But regret is not repentance. Judah and his brothers are confronted again with the opportunity to repeat their sin. But rather than betray Benjamin, we see a significant change of heart. Their actions reflect that change. The bottom line is Judah knows their actions have caused much suffering and he has no desire to cause further suffering. That is repentance. Repentance is recognising or acknowledging our sin, being genuinely sorry for it and turning away from it. It brings us to a point where we'll no longer submit ourselves to that sin, but we'll seek a new course. Who do we acknowledge our sin to? Judah threw himself before Joseph, pleading for his mercy. We get to throw ourselves at the mercy of a loving, gracious, forgiving God. As we have seen, merely regretting our sin is not enough. The sorrow we experience must grow into a hatred for sin, a driving desire to turn from it. But if we do, we'll be found in the loving arms of the Father who so desperately wants you, who so desperately loves you and is so willing to forgive and accept you. I don't know if you are suffering hardship or anything that would be considered severe in your life right now. But I think if you are, you need to step back and you need to say, is this of God? Don't hear me saying that all suffering and hardship is a result of sin. But if you are in that place, I think you need to ask the question. If you have feelings of guilt, you need to spend some time quietly and just ask God what it is. Why are you feeling guilty? Ask him to reveal that to you. Ask him to show you so you can deal with it. If I was to go around this room... And I was asked to ask each Christian here if they wanted revival. I think you'd say yes. It's the right Christian thing to say, isn't it? Especially to the pastor. But if we want revival, there has to be repentance. There has never been a move of Holy Spirit in history that has brought revival without repentance. And it begins here. In this building. We can't expect it to happen outside if it hasn't happened here first. That's the way God works. Is God pursuing you? I believe his desire is that not one be lost. I think it's written somewhere in scripture. And he's pursuing each and every one of us. It doesn't mean your life's going to be miserable every day until you turn to him. You'll experience what's called God's common grace, as the brothers did. They were abundantly blessed in the midst of their sin. 
But in the midst of everything, if your mind circles back to that feeling of guilt, what is it you have to deal with? Guilt is not our enemy. Guilt is a gift from God so that we can acknowledge what it is that we're doing wrong. Will you deal with it? When we speak about repentance, if I was to say to you, you need to repent, if the first thing to come to mind was someone else's name or you looked across the auditorium, you don't get it. You don't understand what this is about. And I'd question your faith. But I'd suggest you remove the log from your eye before you look at the speck in your brother or sister's eye. This is about you first and foremost. Are you willing to sacrifice all just as Judah did in order to be made right with God? If you do, you'll never look back. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. And Lord, I know you speak to people. And my desire and prayer has been that you speak to people this evening. And Lord, there's people here who may have been challenged. I, I, I pray you'll just continue to do that work through Holy Spirit. I, I can't do that. That's one of your works, Lord. But I pray if there's anyone here who feels guilty, they will not leave tonight without dealing with that. That they'll come and they'll pray with me. They'll pray with a trusted Christian brother or sister. But Lord, don't let them leave if they've got that guilt. Lord, let us as Christians value the gift of guilt and repentance as part of the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ because you've told us so clearly it is. And Lord, for every person here, let us draw ever closer to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless one and all. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. I do have some questions for you. I would be delighted if you were to sit around and discuss some of these questions this evening before you leave. Uh, feel free to go and have a chat to Rus and Rixmay. You should really get to know those guys. They are a lovely couple, faithful prayers within our church, have blessed Daryl and myself abundantly. But guys, this week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine on you. May he reveal his truths to you. And may you just rest in who he is and the incredible blessings he has for you. God bless.